we can join the, the shepherds and the angels and the little children, and we can join our voices, join our hearts together, and sing all praise to you, all glory to you, for Jesus Christ has been born. Thank you for loving us so much that you poured out your ultimate sacrifice and came to set us free from our sin. And we celebrate that today. We worship you today. We praise you today. And God, wherever we are in our journey in life, I pray that as we dig into your word this morning and let your word speak to our heart, I pray that we would be willing to change in areas where we need to change. We would be willing to draw close to you as you draw close to us. In our worship today, we celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your seat, and as you take your seat this morning, if, if you have children here and the children want to want to go to the worship area for children, feel free to take off right now, and um, I'm sure you'll have a great time of, of worship together as well in your worship place. And I invite you to open your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. And we'll continue where we left off last week with, with our Christmas series. I'm going to read for us this morning from 1 John chapter 2 and read the entire chapter. So you'll want to follow along with me uh, as I read this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word... In Him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father and I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not, not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. <clears throat> Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as He taught it to you, abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. This is the Word of the Lord. And Father, we pray that we would apply Your Word to our life today. And I pray that it would change our lives to be more like You. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> well, I'm so thankful to be part of a church that values children. Uh, our Learning Center for Kids is the longest sustained ministry at Palmetto Shores. One year after we started this church, uh, we started the Children's Center, and it has continued without interruption to this day. And other than this worship service, it's the longest ministry that we've had in our church. We love children. Again, since our beginning, we've had an emphasis on showing tangible love, not only to children that go here, but children all over our community. Uh, we generally participate in some organized effort like Angel Tree or shoeboxes or like we're doing right now, assisting local schools like the Socrates Elementary School with under-resourced children at Christmas. In Zambia, one of our greatest ministries there is every Saturday. I mean, you would have to see this to believe it. There are four to 500 children who cram into a room and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's an incredible sight to behold, and especially an encouraging sight to experience. 
Uh, we generally do some form of vacation Bible school here in the summertime. We sponsor children for summer camps, and uh, often we provide resource uh, training for workers in our children's ministry. And for those of you who have been part of our children's ministry through the years and even working now, thank you, because this is of the heart of God. We love children because Jesus loves children. I mean, Jesus said, allow the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, unless you come to me like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus loved children. And that's how God came into the world. He came into the world as a baby. He became human flesh, just like every other baby. And because of that, he needed care. He cried when he was hungry. He learned to crawl. He learned to walk. He learned to run. He learned to make verbal sounds, just like every other child. His parents loved him. His parents cared for him, just like they did all the other brothers and sisters that Jesus had. The name Emmanuel means God with us. Several months before Jesus was born, this is recorded in Matthew chapter 1, the very first chapter of the New Testament. The angel of the Lord came to Joseph, and he said, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Verse 23 of Matthew 1, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. It's interesting to me that 13 times in this little letter of 1 John, John refers to all believers as little children, as children. He, he was not talking about the age of a person. He was talking about the fact that he endeared these people. He loved these people. He's talking to you and me. He's talking to children of all ages. It's always good to know that we're loved and we're cared for and we're treated in a, in a respectful way, a tender kind of way. And this morning as we fly over this passage, it's a longer passage, but as we just take a, 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 a flyover of this passage this morning, I want you to try to imagine life without Jesus. Imagine if he hadn't come. Imagine if there was no Christmas. And then I want you to ask yourself a question along with me as we fly over this passage. What does God with us really mean to believers? I mean, we have something to celebrate. We have something to be excited about. So I want you to consider the alternative. And I want you to consider the reality of what we actually have. 
What does God with us mean for believers? Four things this morning. First of all, Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our advocate. In verse 1, the Bible says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Sin means that we do wrong. Sin means we violate the law of God. Sins mean we fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. Sin means we, like an archer, takes a shot at a target. (laughs) And we miss the target altogether. That's what sin is. The Bible teaches that you are a sinner, that I am a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of God's standard. We all do wrong. We all miss the target of godly living. And our sin has consequences. Our sin destroys our relationship with God. Separates us from God. And so Jesus became flesh. God became flesh in Jesus. He became one of us. And He became flesh and then grew And lived a perfect life. He died on a cruel Roman cross after suffering unimaginably. And he bled and died so that his blood could pay the price for your sin and my sin. And then he arose from the grave to go to the Father's right hand and plead your case before the Father. Why does he need to plead your case before the Father? Well, the obvious answer is because you've done wrong. You've sinned. You've violated God's law. And you need someone to plead your case. You need someone who has been where you are and lived a perfect life and sacrificed his life and stands before God saying, those who put their trust and faith in what I've done for them Need an advocate as you stand before the God, for God. As you stand before God, you don't have to stand on your own merit. You stand before God and God sees Jesus, your advocate, because He died in your place. He took the penalty for your sin in your place. The wrath of God was fully poured out on Him on your behalf. And Jesus sits at the right hand of God, pleading your case. Aren't you thankful for that today? An advocate is someone who comes alongside to defend or fight for the cause of another person or a thing. An advocate is a mediator, a helper. Uh, A few years ago, some of you know, my, my car was stolen. And a few weeks after my car was stolen, uh, someone called me from the victim's advocate department over at J. Reuben Long and said, I've been assigned to be your advocate. And I said, great. They said, fill out some papers I'm going to send you and I'll be your advocate. A few months after that, she called back and she said, I'm going to take your case before the court this week and you don't need to come. I'm 100% certain 
that I'm going to win your case. And guess what? That advocate took my place and fought on my behalf and won my case, and I didn't even have to go. Why? Because the person was guilty. Justice was served. And when Jesus sits beside the Father pleading your case, He says to God the Father, She's under my blood. He's under my blood. I've paid the penalty for your wrath against their sin. And because of me, they're innocent. Wow. That is awesome, isn't it? Aren't you thankful that you have an advocate in Jesus? Jesus is righteous. That means He lived a perfect, sinless life. And He qualified. He was qualified to be your advocate. To stand before God and plead your case. He knows when you put your trust and faith in Him. And He's with you. He's beside you. In verse 2, John talks about Jesus being the propitiation for our sins. That means that, that, that He has atoned for your sin. The wrath and the judgment of God on your sin has been fully paid for by Jesus Christ, the perfect, holy, righteous one. I'm so thankful for that today. In 1 John 1, 9, the Bible declares that if we confess our sins, He's faithful, He's just, He will forgive us of our sins, and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not because of anything, of anything I do or anything that you do. It's because of what Jesus did. And when you put your faith and trust in Him, He stands before God sits at the right hand of God and argues God, your case on God's behalf, on his, on his behalf. Through Him, you're set free. Propitiation is not what we do, but it's what God has done for us. And the only way you can know God and reestablish your relationship with Him that's been broken by your sin is through the atonement, through the propitiation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Then in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, the Bible says that once we have been forgiven, then we will want to live a righteous life. We will want to live a life that is holy, John says. We desire to walk, the Bible says, in the same way in which Jesus walked. So how did Jesus walk? Well, He was obedient. He became flesh for you and me at the will of the Father. He was a humble servant. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He was prayerful. He was compassionate. He was focused on His mission. And on and on and on I could go. That's who Jesus was. And when you trust Him to be your Savior, when you trust Him as your Advocate, you're signing up to walk as He walked. Your advocate wants to lead you to walk in the same way that He walked. As a believer, He wants you to be obedient and humble and compassionate and focused and a prayerful servant to glorify Him. That becomes your normal everyday life when you know Him. So John is saying to believers... Way to go, way to go in walking the way that Jesus walked. 
So what does life without Jesus mean? Well, life without Jesus means you have no advocate. (laughs) You stand before God on your own merit, and I sure wouldn't want to be there on my own merit. I'm so thankful. One of the best things about Christmas is that believers have a faithful advocate pleading our case before God the Father. But that's not all. What else does God with us mean for believers? Secondly, in verses 7 to 17, we see that Jesus is our commander. He's our commander. Verse 7, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Why did God give us commandments? Two reasons. Number one, God gave us commandments for His glory. He wants us to be like Him. And the second reason God gave us commandments is so that we can be like Him. So that we can benefit and live life that is not distracted, is focused, is meaningful. Without Jesus, we're going to see as he unpacks this message in chapter 2, that life without Jesus is meaningless, it's hopeless, it's meaningless. But with Jesus, we have meaning. It's for our benefit that God has given us his commandments. So we have a commander who has experienced everything that you and I have experienced, yet without sin. He cut through the darkness of this world. The Bible says that out of darkness came a light, and that light is Jesus. He's the light of the world. And so we follow a commander who says, reflect my light as you live in this world. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said, that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Anytime you see the word darkness in Scripture, it's talking about evil. It's talking about living opposite of a godly life. That's what darkness is. And evil is powerful. But listen to this. The authority of Christ Jesus is more powerful than the darkness of this world, than the evil of this world. Our commander, for example, says, love all people. So the way you treat other people will show whether or not you're following your commander. Hatred causes confusion. Hatred hurts you more than it hurts the person you're hating. And so it's futile. In verses 12 to 14, look at what John reminds us of. He reminds us that our commander is forgiving. He forgives us when we repent of our sins. Our commander is eternal. Nothing surprises him. Our commander leads us in overcoming the evil one when we apply God's word to our lives. 
Our commander leads us to prioritize eternal things over the things of this world. In my first two years of college, I was in ROTC. We were at the winding down days of the Vietnam War. And I signed up for ROTC, a military science course, basically. And the instructor in the class was Lieutenant Colonel Deming. He was a World War II veteran. And when he taught us, he not only taught us from the textbook, but he also taught us from his life experience. I respected that man so much because he had done so much to provide the freedom that I enjoyed to even be in, in school, in college. When Jesus came to this earth and died as a man for our advocacy and as our commander, he took our place by leading us through experiences that he had had. He had every experience that we've ever had. And what did he say to his followers? He said, follow me, and I will make you. <laughs> I love that. Jesus wants to take you from darkness and put you into a world of light. He wants to take you from running away from God and lead you to walking with God. And he's our commander who leads us to follow his example. Follow his example in godliness rather than leaving us to aimlessly muddle about through this world on our own. The world says, for example, if it feels good, do it no matter who is destroyed or whoever's hurt. That's called, according to John, the, the lust of the flesh. The world leads us to excessively and inappropriately desire and crave things that destroy our life, things that confuse life. Anything from, from the kinds of food we eat to, to uh, sexual immorality and anything in between. The world leads us to mentally obsess on things that we don't have or shouldn't have. And that's called the lust of the eye. The world leads us to be arrogant and brag about ourselves and draw a circle around ourselves and say, you know, this is the most important thing in the world, what's inside this circle. That's the pride of life. But look at verse 17 of 1 John chapter 2. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, our commander invites us to confess our sins and to keep God's commandments and to love people the way God loves people. Satan, on the other hand, wants us to doubt God's forgiveness and to doubt our salvation and to doubt that Jesus is God in the flesh and to doubt that Jesus is eternally equal with God and that Jesus abides in the believer. So what would life without Jesus look like? Well, life without Jesus means that you're under the command of Satan. Is that really where you want to be, under the command of Satan? He's out to destroy you. He's out to make your life miserable. Not only in this world, but throughout eternity. 
So one of the best things about Christmas is that we have a commander who loves us, who has set an example for us to follow, who encourages us to follow his example as we experience life. So what else does God with us mean for the believer? Well, thirdly, it means that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Uh, verse 22 of 1 John chapter 2. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Now, in John's day, there were deceptive people who taught that there was a way to walk with God other than through Jesus. They denied that Jesus is the Christ. And John called those people antichrists. Christ means Messiah, means Savior. And through the life and ministry of Jesus, there have always been people who denied that Jesus was God in the flesh. Always have been. Even his brothers and sisters didn't believe that he was God in the flesh until after the resurrection, and then they got it. <laughs> the message of Jesus is really hard for worldly-minded people. Why? Because it takes the focus off of ourselves. The message of Jesus says focus on what's best for God and what's best for God's created people, God's creation. The message of Satan says it's all about me, my rights, my desires, my fleshly desires. So people have never wanted to admit that they're sinners. People have never wanted to admit that they have to admit that they're sinners <coughs> Excuse me, and turn away from their sin to turn back to God. So the truth is, we all need a Savior. One of the best things about Christmas is that Jesus is willing to save all who will admit we're sinners and repent of our sin and turn away from our sin and believe that He shed His blood to pay the price for the penalty of our sin and trust Him to save us when we ask Him to and then lead us to live a life that reflects walking in godliness. Jesus said, if, if you're not of this world, you're against me. Now think about this. Do you really want to be antichrist? Do you really want to live against Christ? Do you really want to be an enemy of Christ? Anyone who is against Jesus is antichrist. Anyone who rejects the simple gospel message that Jesus loves you and wants you to be one of His is an antichrist. You've fallen into the trap of being antichrist when you won't admit that you're a sinner and repent of your sin. You fall into the trap of being antichrist when you won't believe that Jesus came to earth 
as God in flesh and lived the perfect life and actually sacrificed his life to pay the penalty, the debt for your sin against God. Life without Jesus means that you are Antichrist. It means that you have no Savior to stand before God and plead your case. You have no Savior to claim to pay the, the sin debt that you owe before God. And you will stand before God one day on your own merit. And once again, that's not where you want to be. He's Emmanuel. God with us for all who will believe. And I encourage you to join that crowd today of followers of Jesus. Finally today, what else does it mean for God to be with us for believers? Well, fourthly, it means that Jesus is our shelter. Jesus is our shelter. Verse 28, 1 John chapter 2, And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. John was aware of the fact that life is full of storms. Uh, you're going to go through storms in life. If you're not going through one right now, cheer up because it's eventually coming. <laughs> you will go through storms in life. Storms can challenge your faith. Uh, there are health storms and financial storms and relational conflict storms and even storms about what to believe. And John is encouraging us to come to Jesus because He offers us a place that we can find shelter. To continue in Him means that we, we find a shelter in Him, that we can abide in Him when the storms of life crash in around us. We have a trustworthy shelter in Jesus. So he says, come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What's the world looking for today? The world's looking for peace. The world's looking for rest. And Jesus said, come to me, and I'll provide a shelter for you like no other shelter. In other words, you are safe in the arms of Jesus. He alone is the hope of the world. Back in our seminary days, I pastored a little church up in northern Texas. And Gail and I would drive up on the weekends and preach in the church on 125 miles north of Fort Worth. A little town called Elbert. The church was Elbert Baptist Church. And on the weekends, we lived in the parsonage that the church provided. And in the yard of the parsonage, there was a, a hole about 10 feet deep down in the earth. It was about 10 feet wide and 10 feet long, a little square. A little pull-down ladder went down in under the ground. And it was there so when the, 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 the tornado signal went off, when the alarm went off, we were to run for shelter under the ground. 
the top of the shelter was level with the ground and it was designed that way so when the tornado came when you were in the storm shelter the tornado would just blow right over and you would be in the safety underneath the ground in that shelter it was dark down there there were spider webs when you would pull the door open i went down several times just to test it out and make sure that you know the thing the stairs worked uh you know Spider webs were everywhere, and you know there was nothing down there but a kerosene lantern at the bottom with a few pieces of furniture, metal chairs, and so forth to, to sit in. The idea was that when the storm came, when you heard the alarm go off, you ran into that shelter so the storm would, would pass over. My contention from this passage today is that, that Jesus offers a place for us to abide with Him, to shelter with Him that is like no other. Jesus is the safest place for you to have a shelter for your life. Why do I say that? Well, when you're going through a storm in life, you can put your hope in Jesus and He's going to be there. He's going to be there with you. And one of the best things about Christmas is that Jesus is our shelter. What makes Jesus the safest shelter in life that you can depend on? Well, there are other shelters out there. I mean, you can put your shelter in the, in the shelter of pleasure, having all the fun that you can get, all the gusto that you can get out of life, and guess what? That's going to fail because you're always going to want more. You can put your shelter uh, shelter your life in your possessions but guess what they're not going to last through eternity uh, some of you are reading with me through the old testament we started last january reading a chapter a day and we're in first chronicles chapter six today in first chronicles chapter six there are 81 verses and their names of people's families there are probably hundreds if not thousands of people in that one chapter and it also designates all their possessions as i read through that this morning in my quiet time i thought to myself guess what all these people have something in common <laughs> they're all dead <laughs> they didn't carry their possessions with them in fact that's what the war in the Middle East is over right now. It's over, you know, territory, over land. I mean, you can't carry it with you when you get to the end. Some people shelter their life in prestige, in popularity, getting to know people, in power of, you know, being able to control people, know people. Guess what? That's going to that's gonna end as well. So, eventually, pleasure and possessions and prestige the things of this world as john is talking about here the things of this world will disappear it's going to go away some of us own a house and some of us have been in those houses for a long time and guess what things start to break down i mean you can buy the best things this world can offer and they're going to fade away death is inevitable then what had my annual physical this week that I had the last one 10 years ago, but I'm going to start having one more regularly now. But anyway, <laughs> I was reminded 
that this earth suit is wearing out. I can't do things physically that I used to do. I can only dream about it, wish about it. But it's inevitable. I am going to die one day. We're all going to die. And then what are we going to do? Well, Jesus Christ, God who became flesh, went to the cross and died. And then what did He do? He arose from the grave on the third day so that He could have victory over death. And when you shelter your life in Him, you too have the confidence that this life is not all there is, that you have an eternity to live with God, praising Him and glorifying Him and working for Him because your life is sheltered in the life of Jesus Christ. To access that, you have to put your faith and trust in Him. Once again, let me repeat myself. You have to admit that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. You have to confess your sin and repent of it and turn away from it. Believe that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice, became your propitiation for your sin. He's standing before God, pleading your case. And throughout eternity, you want to glorify Him, both here on this earth and in eternity as well. Imagine a life without a shelter to go to that's going to take you through eternity. That's what you would be like if Jesus had not become flesh, had not become one of us. Life without Jesus means you have no shelter to protect you in this life and in the future as well. So what's the best thing about Christmas? Wow, I love it. I love Christmas. And the best thing about Christmas is that Jesus came to be your advocate. He came to be your commander. He came to be your savior. And he came to be your safe shelter. Why would anybody not trust Jesus? You're going to take your chances with the pleasure and possessions and power of this world. Or are you going to put your life in the hands of Jesus and shelter your life in Jesus? Little children, open up your life today to Jesus. His arms are open wide for you. He is the hope of the world. Jesus put it this way when... Nicodemus came to him searching for truth, searching for life in the light. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God, I pray today that we will find our shelter, our Savior, our commander, and our advocate with you. God, we need you. We need you because we are sinners. We, we need you because we need to confess our sin 
and trust your blood to save us and allow you to sit at the right hand of God pleading our case before the Father. God, thank you for making yourself available to us and I pray that not one person will leave here today without giving their life to Jesus, without trusting the light of the world. And thank you so much, God, for giving us that hope, that hope that is an eternal hope, giving us the hope of the world in Jesus. And it's Him now that we celebrate and we worship in Jesus' name.